All right, so grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 15. And I'll read the word for us, and then I'll pray. So Matthew chapter 15. Um, We're going to be in verses 21 through 31 today. And this story is also kind of found in Mark chapter 7. In case you're wondering, you want to go look at that later. Uh, But to set the scene for us, uh, it says in the very first verses that Jesus is at a place called Tyre and Sidon. He's near the places called Tyre and Sidon. And we probably don't really know where that is. You know, if we think about it, we're like, I don't know Middle Eastern, you know, geography. But basically, Tyre and Sidon are 30 miles outside of the nation of Israel. So they're pretty far away. Think about it this way. 30 miles from New St. Peter's and the the Children's Theater where we worship on Sunday mornings. 30 30 miles takes us to the other side of Fort Worth. Okay? So it's a ways away. And Jesus is there. And he's walked there. He hasn't drove there or anything. So he's clearly there with a purpose and there with a reason. So let's see what that is. So let me read from us from God's word, Matthew 15, verses 21 through 31. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Father, thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. Thank you for the words of Jesus and the actions of Jesus that we're able to see. Lord, would you strengthen us as we look at your word and show us your truth through it. Amen. There are many stories of Jesus that we're familiar with. There are many stories of Jesus that we know well. Things like when he feeds the 5,000, when he walks on water, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, right? We know a lot of stories of Jesus, and all of those give us a picture of who he is. But this story seems so different. This story seems so odd. And if we're honest, it seems a little bit harsh, a little bit cruel. We don't really know what's going on. It doesn't fit our picture of Jesus, right? So the question is, what is Jesus doing? What's going on? This is so different also from the other healing stories that we've heard so far this semester. And as I've reflected on this passage, I think it's hard for us to hear for two different reasons. First, it's hard because... We have to slow down when we get to this passage. The meaning doesn't jump out at us. It's not immediately obvious what's going on. But that's hard because it's hard for us to slow down. We live fast lives. We fill our schedules. We try to do as much as possible. We like to say that we're busy, that we have a lot going on, right? We like it that way. Um, But then it's hard when there's something we don't understand. There's something that forces us to slow down. And it's something that's time-consuming. We'd rather go do something else, if we're honest, a lot of the time. So that's why it's hard, because this passage forces us to slow down. 
Second, as I mentioned, Jesus' words to this woman seem harsh or cruel at the first time we read them. And so besides living fast lives, we also live big lives. What I mean by that is we try to do as much as possible to be as much as possible, right? To do all we can do, to achieve all we can achieve, to be liked by everybody, to be independent, all these sorts of things. We like to live big lives, or at least we feel like we need to, right? And when Jesus says these words, it kind of goes in the face of that, right? It, It seems it's very different. And so actually what reading this story, this healing story teaches us is the exact opposite of what, of what we, are te- we, we are tending to do, which is to live fast lives and big lives. Actually, this passage teaches us that the Christian life is slow and the Christian life is little. The Christian life is slow and the Christian life is, is little. So first, it teaches us that the Christian life is slow. As we've seen, Jesus is well outside of the bounds of Israel, right? 30 plus miles. He's walked all the way out there. What we might say is the middle of nowhere. Right? He's in the little and he's in the slow country. And so as he's there, this woman comes up to him in verse 22, and she's got a huge problem. Right? First, it refers to her as a Canaanite woman. Now, this word Canaanite is actually the Old Testament word for somebody who's not in the nation of Israel, somebody who's not Jewish. And so she's a major outsider. Right? A lot of the times they considered outsiders to be unclean. So she's a major outsider. Also, the big problem is her daughter is demon-possessed. I mean, that's a huge deal. She has nothing that she can do. So far, so far, we've seen a lot of physical ailments that Jesus has healed, but here we have something completely different. Her daughter is possessed by a demon. This is a huge problem. And so the disciples quickly make a decision, as we'll see. They quickly decide to move on when Jesus initially doesn't say anything, when he's silent. So verse 22, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So verse 23, look what the disciples do. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Okay, so they they make this fast, this quick decision, right? And this is what's going through their minds. They're thinking this, okay, Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah is here for Israel, but she's not in Israel, she's not Jewish, so he's not for her. So they quickly make up their mind, and they're done. They say, okay, well... She just needs to leave then. But they're forgetting something about what it means to be in the nation of Israel because the Lord did promise blessing to Israel all the way back when he called Abraham in Genesis 12, right? He said, I will bless you. But in that same passage, he also said to Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. So actually, they were also meant to be a light to others. You see, God through the singular nation of Israel, was unfolding his purpose for the whole world, but he was doing it slowly. He was doing it over time. And in fact, this woman understands slowness much better than the disciples in this passage. Because I can count four different times when this woman could have easily left. She could have said, I'm done, right? And she doesn't. First, in verse 23, when Jesus doesn't say anything to her initial words, she stays. Second, when the disciples beg Jesus to send her away she stays. Verse 24, when he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, she responds and stays. And then in verse 25, when he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, even then she stays. She's slow. I have to ask myself, how soon would I have turned my back, right? If I'm in this woman's shoes, 
right? How, how soon am I going to turn away? How soon are we going to turn away if this happens to us? But she's not quick to leave. And why not, right? Well, she recognizes the truth that we've talked about all the time this semester, which is that only Jesus can heal. And this happens at other times in the Gospels. In John chapter 6, Jesus talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and people start to leave. And he asks his disciples, hey, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, where would we go? For you have the words of life. Right? This slowness, this patience. In Luke, in the, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells this parable about a persistent widow who has this unjust judge, and she keeps pleading her case, pleading her case, pleading her case, until the unjust judge says, okay, I got to deal with this, right? And he says, if an unjust judge is going to do that, how much more is your father going in heaven going to give you justice and give it to you swiftly? And this takes us kind of back to Jesus's words. So we see this idea of slowness in the passage. But still, we're, we're still wondering, why does Jesus speak the way that he does? Why does he say, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel if he then heals her? Why does he say, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs if she gets healing? Well, what's going on, right? And that takes us to our second thing in this passage about the Christian life. It's not only slow, it's also little. What do I mean by that? Well, look at how this woman comes to Jesus. Verse 22, she asks for mercy. She calls him Lord. She calls him Son of David. She's exalting who he is, recognizing him for who he is, and saying at the same time, I am not those things. And I need your help. Verse 22, she actually kneels before him as she continues to ask for mercy. She's humbling herself. And then verses 26 and 27, kind of the key to the whole thing. Jesus answers her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But look at her response in verse 27. This is what she says. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So you can imagine, again, in her place, we would not say that. We would do something very different, right? But she says this, okay, Lord, if you're going to call me a dog, then I am a dog, but I'm still going to be yours, and I'm still going to do anything I can to receive this blessing, right? She's basically recognizing, okay, I am not big. I am not important, right? I'm not well-liked, but my whole life, my whole being means being near my master, and that's what I want to do. She basically says, I love you enough and know who you are and recognize you are the God of the universe standing before me. And I don't have any right to do that. I don't have any right to be in your presence. And yet you're allowing me to be here. Now, she understands deeply the truth that we can find in Psalm 8410. It says this, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And this littleness, what we might call humility, right? This slowness, we all see because of Jesus' actions. Jesus is actually doing what he's doing so that we can see this beautiful example of slowness, of this, of this littleness of this woman. Because he says these things and does these things to provide us an opportunity to see her be the way that she is. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. I had this professor in college, a philosophy professor, that once a semester... He would come to class one day as his quote-unquote twin, right? It would be him, but it would be his quote-unquote twin, who was an atheist and who would debate with us the entire class, right? And basically what he was doing is he was providing for us a way to strengthen what we knew and what we believed in, right? And so when Jesus says these words to this woman, 
he's providing her an opportunity to strengthen her faith, right? He's also going to provide an opportunity, as we see, because he then affirms her faith and still heals her. So verse 28 comes in. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This littleness and slowness, this patience and humility are only shown because Jesus offers her this test. But also this littleness and this slowness, as we've kind of mentioned, have their ultimate source in Jesus. Because this woman knows that she doesn't deserve holiness. She doesn't deserve healing and blessing, right? She's not of the tribe of Israel. She's a Canaanite woman. Her daughter's possessed by a demon. She doesn't deserve it. And we're just like that. We don't deserve God's healing. We don't deserve his blessing, but it's a gift that we've been given. It doesn't matter if we've gone to church enough. It doesn't matter if we've tried hard not to do bad things. It doesn't matter if we know enough about God, right? We'll never know enough to merit his blessing, but he gives it to us anyway. And even going back to Israel, this was meant to be the same thing. They didn't deserve blessing either, actually. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God says to Israel, I didn't choose you because you were great. I didn't choose you because you were more numerous than anybody. Actually, you were the smallest of all peoples, but I chose you because I loved you. And then I keep loving you because I'm keeping my promise to you. As it says in 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation, to be the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And that's the thing. What this whole passage is teaching us is that we live little and slow lives because of the undeserved gift that Jesus has given us. And just like this woman, we're going to be tested. We're just going to go, we're under going to go test in our lives, opportunities to, our, to decide, are we going to live big and fast lives? Are we going to take the big and fast option? Or are we going to take the little and slow option? Right? When somebody's angry at us, wrongly angry, are we going to fight back or are we going to stay calm? When we ourselves find ourselves becoming angry, are we going to get angry quickly or are we going to be quick to listen and slow to speak, as the Bible says? We have an opportunity to do these things too when we pray. Right? We, can, we can be slow when we pray, not just rushing in, but taking time. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to take a lot of time to pray, right? but going towards that slowness, that rest that God offers. We also have an opportunity for littleness, for humility when we pray. Because we praise God for his greatness and we also confess our sin and say, Lord, there's no reason why I should be able to come before you except for the gift that we've been given in Jesus. That's the only way we can come before God the Father. So we have an opportunity to do that when we pray. And God also gives us an opportunity to be slow by resting. To rest on Sundays. To take breaks from the things that we do. And not just take breaks from things like technology and social media. And those are good things to take breaks from but also taking a break from work, taking a break from homework, resting in him. You see, in all these things and more, we can be little and slow because we've been given the undeserved gift of love by the God of the universe, shown for us in Jesus coming for us. Not only that, but God has given us his spirit by which we can be strengthened to do these things, to live little and slow lives. Let me give you kind of an example of this sort of humility, this sort of life. So some of you might know the name Sir Edmund Hillary, or might be familiar to you. He was one of the first two people in recorded history to climb Mount Everest, which is pretty amazing, right? So he got up to the very top, and he left something on the summit. He left a cross. Now, he, he's never said afterwards, he's since died, but he didn't say why he did it, right? 
But I want you to just picture that. On the top of the highest mountain known to man, the highest mountain there is, is a cross. And that's a beautiful picture of what this passage is getting at. Because even the highest achievements of man are as nothing before the everlasting God of the universe. But this same God loved us and gave himself for us. And so we live little and slow lives because we're his. Because Jesus truly has healed us. Let's pray. Lord, we don't deserve the things we've been given in you, and we praise your holy name for the gift of love. Thank you for the love that transforms us into loving others. Lord, would you help us work these truths out in our lives? Help us to bless our small group conversations, but also be with us. Keep the family safe uh, during the next few days. Uh, Keep us safe and warm. Thank you that you're with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen.